0: Welcome to the Theater of the Midnight Sun, the 21st Century Stage for Stories, with your host and writer, Michael McGee. This is Michael McGee, and at this venue you'll hear stories of mystery, history, fantasy, farce, sci-fi, spy-fi, the everyday, and the absurd. And pretty much all will be performed by a bunch of regular Joes, just friends and colleagues who in their mild manner day jobs are everything from accountants to winery consultants, none of whom, including your host, have a day of experience on the stage, and boy does it show. So hold on tight for the next story on this, The Theater of the Midnight Sun. In a house turned topsy-turvy, J.P. Pooler has called in an old ex-girlfriend of his, who's none too pleased about it, in order to help him find some answers to it all, in part two of the humorous sci-fi tale, Left Field. I carefully approached the green shag of the hall again and closed my eyes as I stuck a foot out to step on it. The softness of the carpeting caressed my toes, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I dug out socks, pants, and a sweater from my dresser as Jen checked out the living room and dining room. She returned a few minutes later, holding a pair of boxers daintily between two fingers.
1: A pair of your briefs was on the dining room table next to a dirty dish. What's on here? Mustard stains? You use your underwear as
0: a napkin? Whatever's handy. Ugh. You know, it's kind of funny you're here. I had these weird dreams about you lately. One of them hardly felt like a dream though. See, I'd laid down for a nap Monday, part of battling a hangover. Hell, I'm not even sure I fell asleep. But while I was laying there, thinking about another dream you were in, I suddenly saw you in this weird room, like a doctor's office. And you were filling out some form in front of a woman in a lab coat. With these crazy streaks of purple and green in her hair. I just figured it was me and my imagination being weird again. Or my dreams being weird anyway. What? What's wrong? JP,
1: I was at that office. What time did you take your nap? About 11, I guess. Maybe 11.30? Because they were getting ready to close for lunch at noon. And there was this grumpy old woman at the reception desk.
0: With a little red caddy hat on. She was on the phone the whole time, probably talking to her daughter from the sound of it. JP,
1: all that happened? Really? You swear to me you're telling the truth?
0: I swear, just like I'm telling you the truth about my illustrious bathroom with the revolving doors. In the dream, you were in the office and you were filling out this form for something, and it asked you for your age, and I saw you put down 33, even though you've got to be at least 37 now. And I thought it was funny that you'd lie about your age because you always seemed proud of getting older when we were together, saying you felt more confident and mature.
1: I did fill it out that way.
0: Really? The place was a sperm
1: bank. Lately, I've been thinking about getting artificially inseminated. You? Yes,
0: you inspired me. How could you even see that, JP? I don't know. It was like I was standing over you, up high, looking down on everything.
1: How long has this been going on? The dreams and everything.
0: Only the last half week or so. That's mine. I walked to the kitchen to answer it. I stared at the number display. It didn't have a name for some reason, but it looked familiar. And I ran through my mental black book, trying to determine if it was Rachel or Tawny or Beth. I was still a bit bewildered by the latest happenings, but delving into the female front had me sharp again instantly. Sometimes I really do have a one-track mind. I picked up. It was Melissa. I'd totally forgotten about her. It got a little sweet on the phone, and then a bit raunchy, and then fairly steamy, and a wait-till-we're-between-the-sheets-again sort of thing, and promising her dinner and drinks on Monday night next, I hung up. I looked up to see Jen, having totally forgotten she was there. I gnawed on my teeth a little, my face flushed. I'm um, sorry I had to hear that. Hear what? You know... That? Well, I just thought... We dated eight
1: years ago. I am a grown-up, unlike some people.
0: Well, I thought I remembered you had a big problem with that sort of thing. Other women, that is. Of course, if the oral servicing had been a little more often than, say, never, there probably wouldn't have been much to worry about anyway.
1: Oh. My. God. How can you be so charming when it comes to getting women into bed? And yet so incredibly lame when it comes to everything afterwards.
0: I am just not very good at those things. There isn't the same incentive. (sighs) Look, you don't know what it's like to be a guy. The ins and outs of it all. You're not a man. No, I'm a human
1: being. A fact you conveniently forget. Why don't you just get some inflatable doll you can drag to bed? Or better yet, a prostitute.
0: Nah, hookers are too expensive. Plus, you can always tell when they're faking it. Doesn't make for the most exciting evening. And half the time it's like getting a physical how do you like it what turns you on do you want me this way or that way (coughs) or so i've heard god okay okay so i'm a schmuck and i know it but i'm a guy what do you expect i like football and pork rinds i judge my movies by how many explosions are in them i like my girlfriend's busty and my humor lowbrow what's so wrong with that oh dear lord And yes, I make missteps along the way, but I just roll with it and try to have as good a time as I can. I'm a big old frisky Labrador, not some yipping chihuahua. That's who I am. And I'm not fake or try to act sophisticated when I'm not. I'm up front. I'm generous when I can afford to be, which sadly hasn't been often lately. And I always try to be honest. I never lied to you. No, you just sleep with other women but I'd always tell you about it afterward. Don't you think that's a grown-up attitude?" She bit her tongue before raising her hands in my direction like she was strangling me. Ugh! I couldn't believe we were actually talking about this with everything weird going on, but then I was the only one taking it seriously anyway. Jen just thought it a con. To her credit, and mine I guess, she'd been the only person I'd been serious enough with to even contemplate the M word both M-words, that is, monogamy and marriage. In fact, I'd been enamored enough with her to put up with a 12-hour plane flight to Paris, and I hate flying. Prior to the trip, I told her to take a few days off work, but didn't tell her why, planning it as a romantic surprise. It led to some other surprises as well, like the time we were under the Eiffel Tower wandering among the flower carts and street performers. I came across a mime, not that I have any great love for mimes, but it was amusing to see one in the flesh. And I had to admit that this particular gal, in your classic white face, could do some amazing stuff. And not just your walking against the wind junk either. Now, thinking all this pretty romantic, what with the Eiffel Tower, a genuine mime, flower carts and all, I called Jen over, figuring she'd love it too. But as soon as she got there, she reared back and instantly decked the mime. Suddenly, instead of l'amour, I was fearing an international incident. What the, what'd you do that for? I said to her, helping the woman up, who was just trying to get away from both of us now. Jen was wiping the grease paint off her knuckles. She had her hand in your back pocket, she said to me. She was going after your wallet. I just stood there stunned. The pity of it was, here I was being felt up and I'd missed the whole thing. Of course, back in my Victorian duplex, it felt like Jen was getting ready to deck me. Just the same, I was far more concerned about the last 48 hours, and worried even more about what might happen next, in what was becoming my very own little fun house. Look, can we just stay on topic, Jen? This isn't what I called you here for. Well, what DID you call me here for? I told you! Oh, sure. I'm beginning to think even this
1: dream of yours was some stupid trick.
0: The front door suddenly opened, and with the smallest of hellos, Hey. In walked Nathan, my best bud. He went straight to the refrigerator and pulled out a beer. It wasn't until he popped the top that he finally noticed Jen. Hey, Jen, is that you? What are you doing here? Sorry, I thought you
2: were just another at the harem. Oh, brother. Nothing X-rated going on in here, is there? Ow!
0: Nice going, big mouth. Always know exactly what to say. Mind if I get a brew myself? I could use one, you mooch.
2: Jen, what are you doing here? God, I haven't seen you in ages. Well, how are you, Nathan?
0: And just where have you been, Nate?
2: I've been trying to call you the last day and a half. I told you, Shanghai, setting up the trade conference. I just got in totally running on fumes, but I gotta stay up till 11 to kick the jet lag. You are my first port of call, buddy boy.
0: He walked over and grabbed my blue address book off the bar counter.
2: This is what I really came for. That's my address book. No, this is yours. They just look the same. This little baby was officially Shanghai'd, I'm afraid. I grabbed yours by mistake last weekend. Caused you any trouble? Tons. Don't know if you heard, Jen, but I'm always getting things mixed up. Thank God I had the more important numbers saved in my cell.
0: His tall and terribly uniform build, topped by his mustard-like mash of hair, had inspired Nate's nickname of corn dog. Even then, he was the most talented and commonsensical of our good old boys crowd and a total handyman whiz. In fact, for Nate, a hardware store was a black hole. I'd known Nathan since third grade. We'd gone to high school together, followed by college, even dated some of the same girls. Then, a few years after I moved to San Fran, Nathan landed a job out here too. And being a home away from home for both of us, we'd sort of become our own little support unit, corn dog and, well, horn dog. Eventually, his conversation with Jen turned to jobs, relationships, music, nothing about what was going on with me, unfortunately. It seemed like a dead issue to her, or just something she'd get more ticked about. By the way, Jen, they're doing some weird retro Beatlemania-like thing
2: for that old group Dead Dog's Eye down at the Schubert.
1: You're kidding me, Nate. Dead Dog's Eye?
2: Very camp, apparently, and getting lots of buzz. I remember you used to talk about them sometimes. I got two tickets. Want to go?
0: Well, I... Jen looked at me a little worried, like Nathan was coming on to her, and she wasn't sure how to respond. I was a little worried myself. Make that stunned. During the last 10 seconds of their conversation, my guzzling had come to a dead stop till I just stood there, beer trickling down my chin. I would have simply claimed a monster case of deja vu if I hadn't told Tawny my dream about this very exchange only a few days earlier. Just the same, I decided it would not be in my best interest to share my feelings right then. Jen would just think me even loonier. I finally regained my composure. Don't worry, Nathan's harmless, trust me. He means I'm gay. Really?
1: J.P., you never told me about Nathan. He never knew. Not till about seven years ago.
0: And you're still friends, J.P.?
1: Mr. Homophobe? That's so broad-minded of you.
0: Hey, we've been buds since elementary school. I'm not that big a Neanderthal, thank you.
2: No wonder I always liked you, Nathan. I'm the same person I always
0: was. Jape knows that. And so you're still one of the poker buddies? Part of the usual Sunday football crew? He's our token gay. I saw that, Nate. Don't start shaking your head. He's in denial. Sam is not gay. He's got a wife and four kids, for
2: God's sake. Means nothing. I give him two more years. Then there's Michael and Pete.
0: Oh, please. And what about you, JP? Me? Uh, Nate, perhaps you haven't been paying attention the last 30 years, but I am seriously un-gay.
2: Yes, but you are forever turning women onto the world of lesbianism. Oh, right. Start that
1: up again. It's a bunch of crap. Huh? What are you talking about?
2: Over the last four years, at least 10 women have declared themselves lesbians after dating JP.
1: (laughs) Why am I not surprised? But when did you come out, Nathan? I would have never guessed.
0: Well, you know, Nate and I grew up in that same boring little burg. In Wisconsin, right? Well, back in Mundania, his folks were regular churchgoers. And his mom was, well, let's just say devout. But when Nate was 12, he started having, you know, different feelings
1: yeah i got it
0: there was a schoolmate
2: of ours that i started realizing i was attracted to boy named evan i knew it was wrong but oh nathan well i've been told countless times by my mother aunts and everybody else how it was evil the devil's work every sunday we'd get a hearty reminder about it at church then when my parents found a note i'd written to evan where we would started becoming more open with our feelings they put the kibosh on it instantly I think my mom started taking me to church three times a week after that. So I tried to change.
0: He actually believed if he worked at it hard enough, he could really turn himself into a heterosexual. It never worked. Duh. Then, just after his 31st birthday, we're all here for a Packers game, right? And, well, is it okay to tell her? Come this far, might as well. Well, we'd been drinking and everybody's passed out by the post-game show. Or almost everybody, anyway. Nathan's still up, but whenever he's plowed, he's one of those sad drunks. Yeah, pretty melancholy. And so he starts thinking about how he still had all these hated feelings inside him and how sinful he was for having them. And he begins feeling like he can't go on living this way anymore. And so, Nate, well... I decided to kill myself.
1: Kill yourself? Oh, Nathan.
2: So I dragged myself over to JP's medicine cabinet and found a thermometer I'd seen on his shelf thermometer? Well, there's this famous rock star when I was a kid who killed himself by pouring mercury from the thermometer into his ear. It follows your ear canal in, gets into your brain, and then, bing, you're
1: Croak City. Oh my god. And what'd you do?
2: I broke the thermometer and poured it in my
1: ear. You what? You really did it?
0: Yeah, he really did it. And afterwards, he goes back and plops down in my lazy boy and waits to die. But pretty soon, the drink starts wearing off, and he suddenly realizes he doesn't want to die. So now he's panicking and he comes and wakes me up, trying to get me sober. He wants me to drive him to the hospital. He doesn't want me calling an ambulance because when it shows up, he'll be embarrassed, right? And everyone will be asking questions and he'll have to explain. So I drank a pot of coffee faster than humanly possible, slapping myself silly trying to get sober. And then we piled in my car and I drove him as fast as I could to St. Francis Memorial. And what happened? The doctors were able to help you? Nope. No? They didn't have to, really. What? Turned out it wasn't a mercury thermometer. It was the kind filled with alcohol. Ever go swimming at the public pool when you were a kid? Whenever my sisters and me went, afterwards our mom would always put alcohol drops in her ears to prevent any infections. Really? Yeah, so in trying to kill himself, all Mr. Brainiac here succeeded in doing was clean out his ears. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm always getting things mixed up. So Nate got counseling and after that he was fine. Being
2: in San Francisco helped too. I continue going to church every week, but I still haven't come out to my parents. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to.
1: You expecting somebody else, JP?
0: Not me. Unless some local beer truck's out making a courtesy call. I'll just speak outside a sec. Ah, the beauty of peoples. Hmm. Who is it? Some nerd. Actually, make that a bunch of nerds. Four of them. The kind that kind of look like they've spent their entire lives mano-a-mano mano with a computer screen. Hey, Junior Woodchucks, the Star Trek convention's up the street. We're kind of busy here, okay? We've come about Felicia. He was referring to Miss Nitro in a frumpy skirt. The guy had on a nice clean checkered shirt his mom had probably laid out for him. You know her? Figuratively and biblically. Hey, boys, don't look so stunned. And if you've come to fight for her, you can have her. Save up all that knight and shining armor stuff and take her to a movie or something. Use your allowance money. And just who are you anyway? I was her boyfriend. Good verbing. But now she doesn't want to see me. She says she's in love with you and that you're going to be together. Look, it was just a fling. I met her at a party and now she can't turn it off. I never promised her anything. Oh, I love this. Nip it, Jen. Now, I gotta go, boys. We got a little scientific inquiry going on inside. So if you don't mind...
2: Told you he was a jerk.
0: Hey, it's guys like you that ruin it for the rest of us. Yeah, you lowlife. I felt the front door suddenly thump me in the ass as it closed and locked. Jen pulled back the tiny curtain beside the door and gave me a big smile. You know, we're decent guys.
2: We get up the courage to talk to a woman, have our hearts on the line, and they totally blow us off. And why? because they've been hurt too many times by jerks like you who don't give a crap about anybody but themselves and so they think we're just another jerk like
0: you who lie to her and lead her on just to get her into bed nothing wrong with that boys they all know the game they're not stupid it's their decision if they want to spend the night i'm not twisting nobody's arm you're despicable and all that jesse can get some noogie um i believe that's pronounced nookie and frankly i think that explains so much right there Now, if you guys could do us a little favor and find another starship to darken, we'd really appreciate it. We're trying to lead real-life actual lives in here. Before I knew it, somebody threw a punch, and not even a good one. But with the door locked, I suddenly found myself trying to duck for cover as all four of them came at me, fists flailing. Their fighting style sucked, frankly. They could hardly throw a punch, but when they managed to land one, it hurt, revealing anger aplenty behind those swings. Still, their number was the chief problem, like a pack of Pekingeses gnawing at your heels. I broke from the stoop and hightailed it across the street, dodging a car along the way. I headed for some trees on the other side as they tailed me, blood on their dweedy little minds, when I heard something else strange, not that hiss from inside my home, but something entirely different. Where did you, 24, 36, I looked up and stopped dead in my tracks. So did the nerds. Hanging in the air, probably four stories tall, was a movie like image without any movie screen. As it played, an all girl football team, pitted against a 30 foot tall version of me, ran one particularly erotic play in which I was tackled by four beauties and then jam piled by the rest, who then boldly doffed their uniforms till there was a heck of a lot more skins than anything close to jerseys. Of course, That was all before the appearance of the whipped cream, a wave of Gatorade, and a lumbering elephant whose strangely ribbed trunk would have moved LA's entire guild of porn professionals to tears. It was the very same dream, my dream, that I had told Tawny about two nights before. So concludes part two of Left Field. The cast for this podcast included Tipperary Cork as Jen, Michael Berenger as Nathan, David Radin as Felicia's boyfriend, and in the kind of voice acting that would have made old film legends like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin wish it were the days of silent performances all over again, I played the role of JP. The music for this podcast came from several gifted performers and musicians, including Clouseau, of course, AJT, Al Flip and the Woo Team, the incomparable Lee Mattaford, Kaimoku, Print Rogers, and Yevon Onoichinko, who composed the tune you're listening to currently. And were courtesy of websites such as the Poncho Podsafe Network, GarageBand, and Pixabay. Most of the sound effects were courtesy of SoundSnap. A full rundown of the musicians and song or composition names can be found on the music page at the Theater of the Midnight Sun website at www.theaterofthemidnightsun.podbean.com So that's it for this episode. Check back next week for the next episode, or subscribe or follow us. And please let your friends know about us, too. All of that will help a great deal in making more programs here. Until then, this is Michael McGee saying No Need to Wake Shakespeare or Bother Mark Twain and no use in worrying Broadway or even your local high school thespians, it's just us, the theater of the Midnight Sun.